joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. It's a great song to kind of get us into the direction that we're going to be this morning as we think about really and truly uh, the struggle of living a holy life in a society, in a world, in a culture that now no longer really flows toward Jesus. And that's kind of where we've been the last few weeks. Uh, uh, last, I guess, uh, seven We've talked about the idea uh, about how, as Christians, we are living, of course, again, in a culture that, that doesn't look for holiness, that doesn't strive for holiness, uh, even though that's what we're called to. We're called to live a holy life, a life that is set apart, a life that is above the things of the world. And because of that, we have now begun to face maybe more hostility as Christians uh, than we ever have in our life uh, in this country. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've talked about this idea of some things that I must do. To live that life, to live that holy life, I must stand firm. I must understand that the struggle is spiritual. I must commit to holiness, do what is right, commit to discipleship. And then last week, we talked about this idea that I need to be all in, but we need to be all in together. And the idea of, of the, 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 the power that comes from being united in this process together. And the question then becomes, why is this lifestyle so important? Why is it so important that we, uh, why is it so important that we focus on these things? Why is it so important that we say, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to understand uh, the, the nature of the struggle. Why, are, why is this so important? Well, it, it goes to the idea that if you don't pay attention and the currents are strong, then you will drift then you will drift. Drifting is a funny word to me because especially in this idea, this particular uh, statement makes me think about a friend of mine, Jeremy Murphy. Uh, Jeremy Murphy, you know, he, he's probably the oldest friend that I have as, as far as uh, how long we've been friends. Uh, he, he's been that guy that uh, I became friends with when we first moved to Savannah uh, back in 1995, and we've been friends ever since. He's that childhood friend that that I can't get rid of. He's just, he just always has hung around. So Murph and I are, are still really good friends. But one day during uh, one summer uh, kind of youth event that we were doing, uh, we had a bunch of guys. We were out uh, on the lake in Pickwick at someone's house, and we'd been riding inner tubes and stuff. And, and Jeremy had unhooked one of the inner tubes off of the boat and had tied his inner tube around uh, one of the posts on the dock and was just kind of laying there taking a nap. And so, you know what we did? We unhooked his inner tube. And just to see how long it would take for Jeremy to wake up and realize that he's no longer hooked to uh, the dock. And it, it took, I don't remember how long it took, but it, I mean, he, he kind of floated on out a little ways before he finally woke up. But you know, the thing is, is he's kind of asleep and the feel of the water on that inner tube, whether he's tied up or not, really just kind of, the same but little by little when he didn't have that grounding when he didn't have that thing to hold on to and to keep that inner tube secure 
you know, that current, as slow as it might be, slowly just took him on and took him on and took him on. And if we're not careful, in the world that we're living, it is so easy to drift. As a matter of fact, uh, the Hebrew writer makes this very statement. He, he, he's talking to, as the Hebrew writer begins to write this book, he's talking to a group of Christians that have said, okay, I'm going to be all about God. I'm going to be all about Jesus. I'm going to be all about Christianity. I'm leaving behind uh, Judaism. I'm leaving, leaving behind these things that I've thought of and, and believed in my whole life. Okay, I'm leaving those things behind, and I'm going to grab onto Jesus. And the whole book, though, is about don't drift, okay? Don't, don't go back and slowly kind of ease back into uh, the lifestyle that you once lived. And he, the, the Hebrew writer in chapter 2, he makes that statement. He says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. And in, in, in the time that I've been in ministry, I can tell you hands down <coughs> that very rarely, very rarely do people that fall away from Christ just do it suddenly. Very rarely is it that prodigal son moment where a guy just wakes up or a woman just wakes up and goes, Jesus, I'm gone. Dad, give me what's mine. I'm leaving. Very rarely is it that. Most of the time, it's this idea of drifting that little by little, step by step, moment by moment, I've compromised here. I've compromised there. I've let this little thing into my life. And then I, all of a sudden, I look back. I look around and someone has untied my um my inner tube from the dock and i have floated away from jesus i didn't necessarily mean to but i started to compromise and let all of these other things in and i lost control i drifted away and so as we pick back up where we were last week last week we were in Hebrews chapter 13. You can go ahead and turn there. And we looked at the first few verses, and we talked about that idea of being together, all right, being all in together. And we're going to pick back up in this same passage, starting in verse 5, and we're going to continue with the thoughts that he gives us. And really, as we go from verse 5 to verse 16, we're going to talk about some things that will, that will keep us from this idea of drifting, some things that we have to... I guess, for lack of better words, we have to tie our inner tube to. It's that solid thing that will keep us where we need to be. So let's go ahead and, and let's, let's begin this conversation together. So guarding against drifting. The first thing is this. Don't put your Christianity up for sale. Don't put your Christianity up for sale. This is uh, what he says, starting in verse 5. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I really want to focus in, though, here on verse 5. Because I think that's where the, the meat of what we're going to talk about in this particular point is. He says, keep your lives free from the, what's the next three words? Love of money. So I think about the life that I live. And I think about the things that, that maybe would, would pull me away. And, and many times it revolves around things that we enjoy to do. It's, in, it's involved in, in hobbies. It's involved in uh, things that we love. Th things that 
uh, we enjoy doing. And it's not that he says money is a bad thing, right? He doesn't say keep your lives free from money, but rather the what? The love of money. He says don't sell out. Don't make the things that you have the most important things in your life. Rather, he says, be content with what you have. Because the most important thing is this. God says, I'm always going to be here. In your life, I'm always here. I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to turn my back on you. I'm never going to forsake you. I am always here. You can trust in me. You can know that I am the biggest, the best, the greatest thing in your life. And you can always tie off to me. Ground yourself in me. But don't sell off your Christianity for things of this world. Don't let your things, don't let your hobbies, don't let those physical, earthly things become the things that begin to creep in your life and where you're like, well, you know what? I'm going, you know, I'm going to miss church this one time to go do this, or I'm going to miss this so that I can go do that. I'm not going to pay as much attention to my to, to, to this spiritual thing this week because I want to. Don't let those things creep in. Don't allow your love for those things to become the most important. Uh, I heard a guy this week as I was studying, he talked about the love-off challenge. And I thought that was interesting, the love-off challenge. He said, look at the five things in your life outside of your family and kids and, and, and kind of some of those things. And, and, but those can get in the way too if you're not careful. He says, look at the five things in your life that you love the most, that you love the most. And he says, it's usually going to be physical things things in your house that you love, and ask yourself this question. If they disappeared, would I still be happy? If they just disappeared and they were no longer in my life, that car that you love so much, your dream car that you've always wanted, the dream house you've always wanted, if those things disappeared, could you still be happy? And if you look at that question and you answer, well, no, then you're struggling with this idea this love of money. We cannot allow ourselves to sell our Christianity off, to, to let the world show us that this is more important than Christ, and little by little let them take those things, that spiritual thing, from us for things of the world. So free, uh, live your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That, that, that's the thing that kills me, I think, in our world. And, and I struggle with it too. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect in this. But we always want more, don't we? We always want more. And it's the world that, that, that's been created around us. It's the culture that's been created around us. New cars come out every year. New phones come out every year. New models of everything come out all the time. And advertising is built around the idea to convince you to not be content with what you have. Is that not what advertising is? That's their job, is to convince you to not be content with what you have. But listen, we live in the most blessed place in the world. Don't you agree? We get wrapped up in these politic things that are going on and, and elections and this and that. We get frustr frustrated and flustered with things. But that doesn't change the fact that you have more than you could ever know what to do with. Right? But yet we're not content. We always want more. And if we're not careful, when we have that mindset, when we have that attitude, we're going to drift. 
that will slowly push us and pull us away from where we need to be to where, and many times it's not even that Satan wants you on his side. He just wants you against God, right? And so I'm going to get you away from him, and I'm going to let you drift out here because you're not content. Maybe for us, it's not the love of money, but it's the being content with what we have. So that's the first thing. Don't sell off your Christianity. The second thing, and this may be where we spend most of our time this morning, is stand firm on the Scriptures. Stand firm on the Scriptures. And, and, and that is a message that um, we have taught for, for generations, is it not? To stand firm on the Scriptures. And, and I've thought about this statement a lot this week as I jotted it down and was thinking about things, especially in the context of our lessons that we've been dealing with and this idea of kind of cultural hostility that, that we're facing as Christians more and more. And I thought, you know, this idea of stand firm on the scriptures has always been taught and preached in a way to deal with kind of doctrinal issues. And I think that that is very important. I think there's a lot of truth. Uh, I think there is just truth in those issues that, that we have spent so many time, so much time through the years studying about. But I think that this idea of Standing firm on the scriptures has maybe even taken a step to maybe we need to even be more fundamental on this idea. And I'm going to explain that to you here in just a minute. But Hebrews 13 verse 7, the next verse in our text says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So, he's, so as you look at uh, this text and you try to, maybe if you're studying it and you're trying to figure out, who the leaders are. I don't necessarily think that he's, in this particular verse, he's talking about the elders of the church. Uh, he is going to talk about the elders of the church later on. He's going to give us a pretty, um, a pretty important statement there. He says, you know, hey, respect and love your elders, work under these guys. And he says, live your life in a way that makes them being elders a joyful thing. And that's something I think we need to think about, is, is when you have an issue and a concern that's going on in the church, and you want to voice your issue or your concern, you need to do that in a way that doesn't make the elders go home and go, man, I wish I had never become an elder. I asked a good friend of mine that had been an elder for a year. I said, not, not any of these guys here, but I said, um, what's one thing you've learned in the last year that you didn't know or that you wish you had known or that you wish you had done? So what's one thing you've learned in your first year as an elder? He goes, I learned I shouldn't be one. I said, I should have said no. And I thought, how much different would it be if as Christians we we function in the church that we made our elders' jobs joyful. Made it joyful. If the only time that you talk to any of our three elders, this isn't necessarily about our sermon, but it's, it's just touched me this week. If the only time you talk to our three elders is when you're complaining about something, I promise you, you're not making their life joyful as an elder. I'm not saying don't share your concerns with them. Yes, it's okay to share your concerns with them. That's, that, that they want you to. <coughs> Especially before you share it with other people, share it with them. But know these guys on a personal level. Live in a joyful relationship with these guys. That, that's an important thing he talks about at the end of Hebrews uh, 13. But here, I think he's talking about um, that hall of faith type people. The, the people that had lived. Okay, remember those leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome, okay, the end result of their life and imitate their faith. But he, he names off in that hall of faith a few chapters before all of these great prophets and teachers. And he's saying, remember these people and the truth that they shared. 
Now, we are living in a culture that is full of Satan's schemes. But one of Satan's greatest schemes right now is to undo truth. It's to undo truth and is to, to make, I'm going to say maybe even redefine truth. And I want to show you a few things that, that, we, that we're, we're talking about here. And maybe they should have been a little bit bigger. Uh, but there's several of them we're going to talk about. Um, one of the first things that Satan has allowed our culture to redefine is the word love. It's the word love. And in our culture today, love means accepting everything. And if you just don't accept everything, if you put up any type of boundaries and, and you say, I believe in this but not that, you're not loving. You're not loving at all. But yet Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love doesn't delight in evil. So love cannot look at evil things and find joy in it. And then if you go on, and I love this in verse, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So you tag that along with this idea of love doesn't delight in, in evil or bad things from 1 Corinthians, he's saying here that there is going to come a time and a place that as a Christian and as someone who loves someone else, it's going to be kind of your job, your responsibility to love them and show them truth. To love them and show them truth. And that truth very well may be different than the life that they're living. But he says you restore them you, you, you point out error, and you bring them back. But, but the, the love part of it is you do that how? Gently. You don't throw your Bible at them. You don't, you don't do that. But he says also, watch yourself so that you also, or you also may be tempted. So it's this idea that, that you may have to love them back in. You may have to lovingly show them these things, but don't get so wrapped up in it that it then becomes a problem for you. Okay? Don't allow that love to become just accepting of everything. So we have to understand that, that there is a, a scriptural foundation of what love is. And we, we need to love, but we need to love with truth and with grace, as we've talked about over the last few weeks. The next thing that's been redefined is the word hate. Um, if I don't love, if I don't accept everything and anything, then I hate. And that's a very unfair thing, right? It's a very unfair thing. Scripture says this in Amos chapter 5. We dig back a little bit to find this one. He says, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. If hate is just a lack of acceptance, uh, if hate is just you don't love, then this verse doesn't make sense. But here... Uh, Amos makes a pretty bold statement and just says, hey, look, there's a way that we have to live. Now, hate is not meant, I think this is important in the culture that we live in and that we're dealing with, hate does not mean destruction, okay? Hate is not meant to be a tool of destruction. Hate is not meant to be this thing that I have that I go and dismantle because I don't like what you're doing, so I'm just going to dismantle your life and point out all the bad things that I hate about your life. You know, I hate evil, therefore I'm just going to I'm just going to come down on you about these things. No, that's not what that word means. It, it is to have a feeling toward things, a, a negative feeling towards things that are not 
godly. As a matter of fact, this, this word hate means to turn against, or, or, or really it could be translated to unlove. And, and I like that word translated that way because it, it, is, it is playing right with what he's saying in the next phrase. Unlove evil things. Don't, don't love those things. Rather, love what is good. But as Christians standing on Scripture, we have to look at things that are unholy, things that are unpure, things that are not good and right and justice. And we need to have a very strong reaction towards those things personally and refuse to be a part of those things in this world or we'll drift away. Tolerance. It's another word that, that has changed in so many ways in our culture. And tolerance has become this idea in our society of just approving of my sin. If you just don't approve of what I'm doing, then you're not tolerant of me or anything for that matter. But then uh, John writes in Revelations 2 and verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. These are the words of Jesus. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food, sacrifice to idols. Tolerance in this idea here and the way that the world wants us to live as a tolerant people is, is acceptance. And he says, I have an issue with you just accepting that everything's okay. You can't be tolerant in that way. Another way that you can word this is you gave permission, okay? You gave permission to Jezebel to be this way. You go, and this is where we have to be careful. This is where we have to be careful. And, and Paul talks about this in the first chapter of Romans. But it's not okay for us as Christians to just say, I don't believe in it. He goes on and he says, you can't even give other people permission to live that way. You can't go, hey, it may not be my thing, but hey, go do what you need to do. Go, go live your life. Go do you, as some people might say. Just, just whatever. We can't give, tolerance is not giving permission to sin. We can't allow it to be that to us. Now, what I think tolerance is in love is saying, hey, look, you may be, Jake, you may be struggling with this chocolate chip cookie addiction. I get it. I get it. And, and I'm going to bring you in, and I'm going I'm to love you, and I'm going to help you through this, and we're going to work through this process, and I'm going to be patient with you, but I'm also going to push you toward righteousness. But in that moment that you may stumble, and you may go and buy a, uh, a, a package of soft-baked, you know, chips ahoy, you take them jokers, and you put them in the microwave for about 10 seconds, and warm them up in a cup of milk, you know, I mean, Jake, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have some patience for you there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tolerate the idea that in the process of recovery, sometimes we fall, we all fall short, right? But I'm gonna also pick you up and help bring you back because of how much I love you, and I don't want you to live in this way. But we can't just give permission. Oh yeah, Jake, just do whatever you want. Just do whatever you want. Judgmental, boy. This is a phrase that uh, that we've struggled with maybe in church for a long, long time. And that people have always thrown at Christians as a negative thing. Uh, but basically, I think in our culture today, being judgmental means I don't like your boundaries. I don't like your boundaries. And th this, is, this is where I think a lot of our challenge comes from. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And if you take this one verse out of context, it's easy to go, hey, I can't judge Jake. 
Bible says for me not to judge Jake. But I don't believe this is a statement of don't judge. I believe this is a warning about the way you judge. Because he's going to go on in other passages. He's going to talk about, hey, you know, don't, don't worry about the speck of dust that's in Jake's eye when you've got a plank in yours. He's not saying that the speck of dust isn't worthy of dealing with. He's saying, but make sure you've got yourself taken care of before you try to help someone else. So he's reminding us, hey, don't judge. Remember how dangerous this is. But he's also going to go on in chapter 7, starting in verse 15. And he's going to say, you're judge, being judgmental, if you will, based on truth, is something important to do because he goes, watch out for false prophets. How do you know if they're false prophets? You judge them. But how do you judge them? It says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves by their fruit. You judge them by their fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus by their fruit you will recognize them so we're not to be judgmental in the fact that i am we're not to be judgmental in the fact that i'm just telling you you're wrong and i'm always right but he says step back and look and you'll be able to see what is good, what is holy, what is pure out of people, and you'll see what is unholy and sinful by what they're producing. You're, you're not Bible thumping. You're, you're not going around and being hateful. But he says, just, just be patient with people and see where they are. And then once we see the fruit that they bear, then we have the ability to step into their life, show them that love and grace and truth, and try to bring them toward Jesus. So stand on um, the firmness of Scripture on, on the most fundamental of levels. On the most fundamental of levels. Uh, let's finish this up real quick here. Um, watch out for compromise. Watch out for compromise. That may be one of the greatest struggles in this idea of drifting. Is I'm going to give just a little bit. I'm going to give just a little bit. And it's that idea of... Maybe your child comes in and says, hey, mom and dad, you've taught me to live this way your whole life, and I'm coming in and saying that I'm going to live this lifestyle, and you're just going to have to accept it. You know, if you love me, you'll accept it. And you're sitting there and you go, but this is my kid. You know, I've got to love him, and I don't want to cause problems in our relationship. And so you begin to compromise here and there on things. But I love the simplicity of this verse. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he expected yesterday is the same today and will be tomorrow. And he says, trust in me. To me, this is what this passage says. Trust in me. Don't change. Don't give up. Don't compromise. Tie your inner tube off to me and know that I am always right here. No matter the struggles that are going on around you, don't compromise. Don't begin to go, oh, well, you know what? I, I don't like this side of the dock. I'm going to see if I can throw my ring to the other side so that my inner tube can go to this other. No, stay where you are. Stay grounded in Jesus. And then the last thing, the last thing is celebrate life as an outsider. Let's just stop right there for a second and, and admit something. We don't like to be outsiders, do we? We like to be included. 
How many of you like to be on the outside looking into a group of people that are having a good time? Very few people. Very few people. Okay, when, when you know, you're on the playground and they're, you know, you got two team captains and you're picking, you know, you're picking um, basketball teams. No one wants to be the last one picked, do they? they? They want to be in the mix to begin with. We don't like to be outsiders. But as we live in this culture, as we live in this world, we have to celebrate that we are on the outside of the world. We're on the outside. We are the outside culture looking in. But we, we, we celebrate that. And we celebrate that in praise and goodness and generosity. I love the way he wraps up here. He says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals in the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are buried outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him. I love that. Let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. I love that. I love that. You know, sometimes in relationships, you can, you can have challenges in relationships. And, you know, somebody just looks and goes, hey, what is it going to take to make you happy? What, what do I, what do I got to do? Well, what, what do I got to do to make you happy? Well, what, what's going to make you happy? God just says it right here. This makes me happy. In this culture that we live in, as much as we want to maybe be selfish and, and not be content and, 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 and drift here and there, he says, look, I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you live with me, if you'll live this life to let us continually offer, offer praises to God from our lips, let our lips be full of praises to him, profess his name, and then don't forget to do good. Don't forget to do good to other people, to share with other people. And this is what pleases God. Just live this verse above everything else. Live this verse, and guess what you know you'll do? You'll please who? You'll please God. And you won't have to wonder, am I doing what I need to do? Am I, am I living right? Live this verse, and you will live right and please God. That's a, that's a lot of ground this morning. It's a lot of ground this morning. But we do live in a world and a society where we're struggling. We're struggling with our example because people don't want to hear that they're wrong. People have never wanted to hear that they're wrong. But we have a message, a message that saves people's soul for all of eternity. And we can't keep it in this building. We have to go out and share it. And as we share it, we're going to learn. We're, we're going to struggle with people's responses to it, people's reaction to it. They're going to push back. Some people are going to be hostile, and that's okay because Scripture says it's going to happen. Just as much as he says this pleases God, he says when you live the way I want you to live, people are going to hate you for it, okay? You got to take that with the other side. But as a family, we can endure so much more together as we ever can trying to stand by ourselves. And as a family with God, we can endure anything and overcome anything. 
we can face every struggle that comes our way and we can be victorious because he's already won the battle. So that brings us to the close of, of this morning's lesson. Let's go to God in prayer together. God, I thank you so much for the chance to be in your presence this morning and to be able to open up your word, this, this great passage from Hebrews. I thank you for truth, uh, truth that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help us to not be afraid of that truth, God. In a, in a world where it does seem like so many things are being redefined and so many things are changing and, and, and we're facing struggles we've maybe never faced as Christians before, help us to not be afraid. Help us to stand up and stand firm on your word, to not compromise, to not sell off, to, to be content where we are with the blessings that we have, knowing that blessings from you are abundant and they're better than anything we can ever try to obtain on our own. Forgive us when we fall, God. Give us strength to overcome. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Lift us to the joy divine. Instagram. Mortals join the mighty chorus. And Twitter. Morning stars began. Father, love. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man.